highest note we will ask you to sing this morning. Uh, it was December 24th, Christmas Eve, 1906, and in Brant Rock, Massachusetts, a man by the name of Reginald Fessenden, who was an associate of Thomas Edison, was experimenting with a microphone and telegraph equipment. This was not his first time experimenting with equipment like this. Fessenden had actually been working for years at this with the hope of one day being able to utilize electromagnetic wavelengths in order to wirelessly communicate with others. Fessenden had been developing a system to transmit and receive messages using amplitude modulation, or AM, as some of you might recognize the term. And on that night, Christmas Eve, 1906, the fruit of his work ripened as the first words were spoken over radio waves to ships that were sailing along the East Coast and had been fitted with these wireless receivers. The first words that were spoken during the broadcast, anybody have thoughts? They actually came from Luke 2, the Christmas story. He concluded the broadcast by saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Amazingly, the first words to ever be heard over the radio was a reading from the account of the birth of Christ. However, Fessenden didn't stop with only the spoken word, as I understand it, due to others in the room with him being too shy to actually step up to the mic and speak on it. Fessenden then picked up his violin and plucked through a song, the very first song to ever be played over radio waves, a song that many of us will be familiar with, even the very high note that we try and sing, <laughs> O Holy Night. I guess you could say that the first radio broadcast was a Christian radio broadcast. Uh, Fessenden was the forerunner to Christian FM. It was a broadcast that included both a gospel reading and a song about our Savior's birth. I want to reread a few of the lines that we just sang from that first song that was played. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. This is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A weary world rejoices. I love that line. During Advent, we are looking at some lines from a few different Christmas songs and allowing those to kind of direct our attention a bit as it pertains to the message each week. And this morning, that's the line that I want us to focus on. A weary world rejoices. Now, let me just state the obvious. Weariness has been a thing 
over the last couple of years. I'm sure many of you have felt it. I've felt it at times. I still do feel it at times. And the world around us has surely felt it as well. The dictionary points to the word weary as that of being physically or mentally exhausted, of being fatigued, of sapped of strength, discouraged, being worn thin or worn out. This isn't simply being tired, because there can be a good tired, but this is some of that that comes from maybe being tired for a long time, being um, dragged through certain things for a long time. Now, obviously, no one needs a refresher on the myriad of issues that we've faced over the last few years, which could have been a recipe for weariness to creep in and coat our lives, whether for just a short season, maybe it was just a short season for you, or maybe it was a long, dark night of the soul. Many have felt the reality of weariness in the midst of an equally wearied world. There's a line in Tolkien's Fellowship of the Ring where Bilbo Baggins, he says to Gandalf, why I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. <laughs> I've felt that at times, for sure. Maybe you have too. Maybe you even feel that way right now, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread, thin and weary. Thankfully, the song lyric doesn't end with a weary world. I mean, that would just be a downer, right? <laughs> I'm out of here, guys. It rejoices. A weary world rejoices. And that is what the Christmas story gives cause for. For a people living in a dark and weary world to celebrate because a, a great light has pierced that darkness. Or as it, Isaiah wrote, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And it is because of this light, Jesus, that we have cause despite the weariness of the world that surrounds us and despite the weariness of our lives, we have cause to rejoice. Yet if we're honest, there are times when rejoicing feels hard to do. See, the reality is that rejoicing doesn't always come easy or naturally to us. And I think there's maybe a number of reasons for this. There are two that I, I want to talk about briefly. Uh, first is circumstantial. You know, th there are times where we go through circumstances in lives where, where we go through a long, hard season and we're working through some stuff and, and we're trudging through a, a season in life. And it, it, it makes us weary because of that which we are going through. You know, we, we can even grow weary in doing good. Paul talks about that in, in Galatians 6, 9. He, he, he cautions, do not grow weary in doing good. 
You know, there are definitely times and circumstances, and, and the last two years are chock full of them, where, where it, it make, may make us, it harder for us to muster up joy and to fight against weariness in our lives. Now, in addition to circumstances, at times, I think weariness may also just have to do a little bit with who it is that we are. See, as, um, as adults, which I think most of us in this room are, uh, as adults, many of us live out of what psychologists point to as negativity bias. We live out of an overabundance of negativity bias. And, and what that means is that we tend to process things through a lens of negativity. Uh, I was reading that the average uh, four-year-old smiles or laughs about 300 times a day. The average adult, 15. No wonder Jesus said that we need to become like little children because there is this delight, there is this joy that is there that we lose as we become adults. As adults, we skew towards the negative and we tend to learn from negative experiences. We use negative information more than we do positive information. I was reading an, an article about this and the neuroscientist that, that authored the, the, uh, the article, he used the analogy of our brains being like Velcro for a negative experience and Teflon for a positive one. Meaning that negative, the negative things, the negative memories and experiences that we go through, they just stick there, and the positive ones, they bounce off. And part of this has to do with the fact that it, it, it only takes the brain three seconds for a negative uh, experience to imprint itself on our brains. It takes something like 15 seconds for, for a positive memory or a positive experience to imprint itself on our brain. Next time you're doing something that you really enjoy and you want to remember it, maybe sit and savor it for about 15 seconds. If people look at you weird, don't worry about it because you're <laughs> going to remember it and it's going to be a good thing, all right? Although you might, you know, remember that they're looking at you weird as a ne negative experience, so you'll have to work through all of that. But, but this, is, this is why, even though our lives may be flooded with blessings, even though we, we may look at the world around us and go, oh my goodness, look at how good the Lord is. Look at how he has blessed me. Look at how he has just poured out goodness on my life. Even though we can look around at that, when, when we face daily disappointments, the small disappointments in life, we can tend to forget all of the good things and instead choose to obsess over the negative. Now, some of us are more prone to this than others. Uh, some of us, our personalities, they lend themselves to being uh, more you know, prone towards the negative. I, I shared about this a couple weeks. You know, my, one of the personality things that I've done is through Strength Finders, and it says I'd be a good consultant because I can point out what's wrong. And, and, you know, and, and so there it is. Maybe it, I, I didn't need to take a personality thing to do it. It's just, it's just you know, part of life. But you know, some of us, especially creative types, all right? Uh, some of you guys are creative types. Uh, we, there's a little bit more uh, tendency towards melancholy, tendency towards being sensitive in life. Um, I, I have talked about this in the past, my, my journey with and struggle through anxiety. And, and I know that in my life and in my heart, 
I am more prone towards anxiety and, and, and even low-grade depression than, than, than some others. I can have really high highs, but I can have really low lows as well. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not joyful and I'm not capable of rejoicing in life, you know? It's just that I recognize that with who I am and who my personality and how I'm wired, so to speak, that that, that can be a tendency for me. You know, that sometimes joy and rejoicing can be a little bit more of a struggle for me than it is at other times. So what do we do with this? Well, I, I, uh, I believe that our, our relationship with joy is not just passive. It's not something that we just feel joy and we are in, on the receiving end of joy, but it is also, there's an active component to, to, to joy as well. Joy is something that we can choose to live into and cultivate within our lives. There is, there is this deliberate decision that we can make to rejoice in God despite the weariness of our life or the weariness of the world that we live in. Henry Nouwen, he said it this way, he said, joy does not simply happen to us we have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. But how do we do this? Well, the, with the rest of our time, I, I want us to do this. We're going to take a look at the passage that we heard Bruce read earlier. Uh, it's a passage out of Philippians chapter 4. And this is, a, this is one of the passages in my life that has been incredibly transformative um, in, in fact, over the last few months, I've had an opportunity to speak to a few different people in regards to anxiety. And, and um, this is one of the passages for me that always comes up, always comes up, because it has been so transformative for me. And it is one of, I think, the greatest how-tos that I know of when it comes to cultivating joy in our lives and fighting back some of the, the, the tendencies that I know I have and probably many of you have as well. So let, let's read this, uh, this passage. Paul says this. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now, um, let me back up just a second, okay? A little background in case you're not aware of this passage. Paul is writing this passage from prison, all right? He's writing this letter from prison. He's chained up. He doesn't know if he's going to make it out alive. All right? And he's writing it to a church in Philippi that is under persecution. All right? Because of, of what they believe and how they're living out their faith. He's writing this letter from prison to a church under persecution. Both of those are, I think, recipes for weariness, right? But what does he say? He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice 
and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul says, rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now notice this right off the bat. This is a command. Paul is saying, you need to do this. You need to rejoice. Joy is a command. It is, it is something that, and, because, and Paul says it twice here. He says, again, I say, rejoice. You know, Paul knows that he needs to drive home into the hearts and through the lives of a church that is under persecution and a church that can be wearied because of, of, of what they're under. He needs to drive home to them. And it and, and, and needs to be driven home to us as well. How important joy is in our lives as followers of Jesus. That it is something that is critical to our existence. You know? I, I was thinking about it this morning. Um, you know, what if people looked at us and automatically they said, man, they are the most joyful people I have ever seen. Something about those Christians. Something about those people who follow Jesus. They are just filled with joy. I don't get it, but I want it because I see them. and They're just filled with joy. What if that was what people saw in us? Sadly, it's, it's not always the first thing that people notice in, in us. But, but Paul, he's driving home the importance of rejoicing in our lives. Now what we're going to do again, this, this morning, is we're going to break down the rest of what Paul says here and shares here about joy and rejoicing. And we're going to look at this really in three steps, okay? Three basic steps, if you will, to help us rejoice or cultivate joy in our lives, which in turn, I think, can help us to combat weariness. So here's the first thing that I want us to notice here. Paul tells us that we should give thanks. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See, for Paul, the practice and posture of gratitude is pivotal in the life of faith. Now, I say posture and practice because I think that there's a little bit of a delineation there. Because, because uh, you know, for gratitude to become a mainstay in our life, there is a posture that we take on in our life, but there's also practice that we, we kind of take on in our life as well. See, it's a posture when we begin to, uh, to automatically rece receive life as a gift and the blessings of life as grace rather than to look at them as something that we deserve or something that is just our right to have. Because that's not grace, right? But gratitude is also something that we cultivate or a practice that we can take on through finding ways to introduce gratitude and, and thanksgiving into our daily and weekly and monthly and yearly rhythms and life. Um, our family, uh, we started a few months ago. Every morning, we get up during the week, every morning, and uh, uh, after Aaron and I have, have gone on a walk and, and spent some time praying, we, we come home and we open up uh, the word and, and read together uh, but we started this practice um, of singing a song together the Lord gave me a song uh, which is just uh, thank you thank you I just want to thank you Lord and so we started singing this every morning and starting our morning that way 
of giving thanks, and there's this little section in the song where I just play guitar and everybody shouts out something that they're thankful for. We call it popcorn praise. They just, you know, <laughs> pop, pop out something that you're thankful for. If you were here for Thanks and Pie, we sang this, that song in the uh, fellowship hall. And it was just, you know, it was just something to, and it has become a, a bit of a rhythm for us to every morning say thank you, Lord. And to start from that place. And maybe for you, you know, the, the, it's not a song. Maybe you're not musically inclined or, or, or maybe, well, it doesn't matter if you're musically inclined. You can still sing. I mean, I, I hear it all the time. Um, it, when I hear my own voice. Um, um, but maybe for you, I know some of you uh, I've, uh, we've learned from um, will have like a, a, a gratitude jar and uh, where you just, you know, blessings come. And you recognize them throughout the year, and you write down something you're thankful for, and put it at the end, uh, put it in the jar, and then the end of the year, share about the, the things that the, the Lord has done. Or maybe it's a gratitude journal for you, where you just wake up and you, you think about the things that you're thankful for, and you write those things in there. Whatever it is, putting those things into practice, as simple as it sounds, as simple as it sounds, putting into practice rhythms of just saying thank you gratitude in our life is so, so critical, I think, to how we are formed and shaped into a people that rejoice. Now, if you're in a place that joy doesn't come easy to you, if you're feeling weary, let me just say gratitude is one of the biggest, fiercest enemies of discontent and discouragement and weariness. We're, um, we're, we're a couple of weeks removed from Thanksgiving. Did you know that the Thanksgiving holiday, holiday was actually made official during the Civil War under Lincoln when our nation was divided and torn apart and the human capacity for hatred and evil was so evident uh, and th there was this awareness of a need to focus on gratitude and thanksgiving of giving thanks to the Lord you know we, we, um, we, we need to have that as well. If you want a, a heart that is at peace, if you want a heart that is satisfied and content, I think gratitude is right at the start of that. Thanksgiving is part of the recipe for that. I mean, think about it. You can't be truly thankful and complain at the same time, right? Some of you guys are trying to figure it out. So you're like, actually, well, can I? Like, I mean, there's surely there's a loophole here, right? You guys need to stop that. Like, think of, you cannot be thankful and complain at the same time. Author Nancy Lee DeMoss, she put it this way. She said, I've learned that in every circumstance that comes my way, I can choose to respond in one of two ways. I can whine or I can worship, and I can't worship without giving thanks. It just isn't possible. You know, I can whine or I can worship, but I can't worship without giving thanks. Worship is all about giving praise. When we come together and we sing, you know, it's all about giving praise to the one who gave us breath to even return that to him. Honestly, I think that's a great segue into our next point as well because uh, Paul says that we need to give, be thankful and give thanks, but he also says that we need to draw near to God in both prayer and in worship. Paul says this. He says, the Lord is near and then he goes on to say, do not be anxious, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your requests to God. The main source of our joy is proximity to God, who is the most joyful being in the universe. The main source of our joy comes through proximity to God, of being in his presence. Uh, Caleb read that passage earlier from Luke 1, and I, I, I just had missed it, I think, missed this, at least in that passage, uh, until this week. But, and I don't know if you guys caught it, but uh, Mary goes to talk to Elizabeth and to, to greet her. Mary's, you know, Mary's carrying a child, right? And, and Elizabeth is, is carrying a child as well. And Mary comes in and, and greets Elizabeth. And, and, and we see in the passage, you put that passage up there? Maybe? Okay. So it says, that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that a mother, the mother of my Lord shall come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. So Mary comes into the presence of Elizabeth. John the Baptist comes into the presence of Jesus, right, at the same time. And what happens? John the Baptist starts celebrating. I'm in the presence of the Lord. He leaped in the womb, right? Jesus is, is, is in the womb, but, but John the Baptist, his presence comes near and he starts celebrating. Woohoo! Now, I don't know. Thank you, Kirby. I, don't, I can't do it as good as you can. Um, I don't know what Elizabeth, how Elizabeth felt about all this afterwards. She probably needed to lay down for a bit. But there was a party going on. Why? Because the presence of the Lord had come near. Our source of joy is Jesus. Drawing near to Him in prayer and in worship is a huge way that we can combat weariness and cultivate joy. Psalm 16, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. C.S. Lewis, he used this analogy. He said, Good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. We've learned a lot about that over the last couple of years. If you want to get warm, he said, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. He goes on to say, if you're close to it, the spray will wet you. If you're not, you will remain dry. Basically, he's saying, you've got to get next to the source. You've got to be in the presence of the source. You've got to allow the living water to just pour over you. Uh, because if you're not close to him, your hair is going to stay dry. Your whole existence is going to stay dry. But if you want to be near the source of joy, that's going to change things. We experience joy by living in God's presence and for his pleasure. And so that's the, the, the second thing that I want us to look at this morning is that we, we, we draw near to God and as such 
we are able to rejoice and combat weariness. The last thing that I want us to look at is this, that we should mind our mind. Finally, brothers and sisters, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now when Paul says think about, what he means here is to meditate on, to, 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 to devour it, to give our full attention to these things, to fixate our minds and our thinking on things like this. Now, Notice what Paul's list of what we are supposed to think about looks like. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now notice that it is the exact opposite of what most of the world around us would invite us to fix our minds on nowadays. Especially when it comes to our online spaces that are open to us and our digital intake. And I, I am guilty of this. I think many of us are. We, we, because these invitations are there daily to fix our minds on things that are counter to this list that Paul gives us. We, you, you know, we, we, we see these things that, that are, are there that, I mean, just read through a news scroll or Twitter and 95%, and that may be very generous, 95% is a feed of all that runs counter to this list here. It is that which is untrue. It is that which is, which is impure. It's that which is, which is ugly, which is of bad reputation, of, that is poor in moral quality. It is that which is blameworthy. And so the question is, how are we going to fill our hearts with the joy of Jesus if our minds are filled with all of that? If our minds are filled with the garbage that is just so readily available to us. I, um, I was thinking about this. I don't know if you guys like this or not. I love Fruity Pebbles. Um, I don't eat it because I don't eat breakfast much anymore. But I was thinking, you know, if I had a bowl of Fruity Pebbles, right? And... And so I got a bowl of Fruity Pebbles for breakfast. Or I have a bowl of fruit. <laughs> now, which one of these is best for us? Yeah, Fruity Pebbles, of course. <laughs> you have been hanging out with my middle school son. Yes, I, it, it tastes so good, right? He was eyeing this box when I bought it because he knows he gets the remainder of it, right? But this is not in any way as healthy for me as this is, you know? If I put that in my body or if I put this in my body, my body is going to react in different ways ways. My body is going to function differently because of what I put into my body, especially now as I've gotten older, right? I mean, when I was a teenager, I could just do it with no repercussions, right? 
Taco Bell drive-thru, two in the morning. Woohoo! Let's do it seven nights in a row, right? And nothing happened until I got 40. And then, whoa, Taco Bell's caught up with me, right? And so, you know, the things that we put into our body, you know, we, we, we're going to feel the repercussions of that. And, and, you know, to use the saying that I've heard, garbage in, garbage out, right? And the same thing, what we feed our minds with is going to dictate a lot of how our hearts function and where we are with our joy quotient in life. Focusing on our minds on the right things, it goes a long way towards making sure that joy is a mainstay in our lives. You know? And so Paul here in this passage, he draws our attention to the things that we put in our mind, the things that we think on. He draws our attention to drawing near to God in prayer. And he draws our attention to giving thanks. And now, again, these are things that are not just that which we receive, but things that we can cultivate joy through these things in our lives. As we do this day after day, over and over, week after week, year after year, in time, as these become the rhythms of our life more and more, more, I think joy can become more and more the default setting in our lives as well. As we become a people who are, are, are thankful, gratitude becomes a habit, practice, a way of our life. Drawing near to the Lord in prayer and worship as that becomes more and more the habit and the practice and the way of our life. And as we, we pay attention to that, which we put our minds on, we focus our minds on, and fill it with the things that are beautiful, that are lovely, that are pure, that are admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. Think about who embodies that list. Our Savior. Jesus. As we fix our mind on the things of Christ, joy can become more and more the default setting in our life. Now this morning, we are, uh, as we draw to close, we are going to share uh, communion together. And I love that we are, have an opportunity to do that this morning because in communion, I think we have an opportunity to do all three of these things. We can give thanks we draw near to God in prayer. And we can set our minds on that which Christ has done. I'm going to invite the, um, the team to come forward and they're going to lead us in a song uh, before we do this. Uh, if you have not at this time uh, received, picked up any of the elements that, uh, for communion and you would like to, this would be a great time to do that. There are some at the front. There are some in the back as well. If we run out of there, we'll go get some more uh, from right outside this door. Uh, but feel free to, to get up and, and grab those if you'd like to receive communion. But we're going to sing this song together, and then we will um, we'll join together.
in taking of the bread and the cup. I, I do want to give you just a practical, some practical advice. This is a great time now if you struggle with opening these things like I do. I, I don't think this is exactly what they used at the Last Supper, um, but you can go ahead and start peeling the, the foil back right now. Okay, you have permission to do that. All right, but let's sing together.
so grateful, Lord, for your presence in our lives, that we can draw near to you. Lord, we give you thanks that you came for us. And not only did you come, but you died for us. And we wait in anticipation for you to come again. Thank you for that, Father. Lord, help us to fix our minds on things above. Help us to set our minds on that which is lovely and pure and admirable, that which is excellent and praiseworthy, that which is beautiful. And as such, set our minds on you. For we acknowledge that there are times we're just tired. There are times where we're weary and we battle that. Lord, we know that that battle has been fought for us by you. We need but come to you to find true joy and find it in abundance. Thank you that that is so readily available in you. Help us to see that and pursue it and make it a mainstay in our lives. We thank you for this morning and now as we worship, Lord. May our joy be expressed in song through our voices as we praise you. Amen. Amen. I'm going to